Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to KSL. I'm your guest host, Greg Scordis, filling in today for Lee Lonsbury with Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. We've been talking this afternoon about uh, Utah's response to the COVID virus. We've been talking a little bit about uh, the public's response to the the vaccines that are coming out and the, the sort of the little bit of people being a little bit circumspect about whether they want to do that. I want to shift gears for just a minute here, and Todd will hopefully join us in a minute. He's a busy lawyer, and he's in a mediation today. But uh, a lot of us sat back on uh, election night, and it would be three weeks uh, tomorrow, with with what we thought was going to be a, a, a result, uh, and not necessarily that we thought we'd have the results that night, but a lot of people thought, and the pollsters, again, got it wrong as they did four years ago with the presidential race. Um, not quite as wrong this time. Um, but but the, the blue wave that a lot of people were expecting just didn't happen nationally. It just didn't happen. Um, and in Utah, and uh, some of you may know, I ran for political office this year as a Democrat and uh, with no expectation that we were going to prevail, but maybe some vain expectation that we would do better than we ultimately did and save your responses. Maybe we didn't deserve to do any better, but it just seems to me that in Utah, we had a a wave of a a Republican landslide and, and it even went a little bit further uh, than, than some of us might've expected. I mean, certainly statewide races were, were always going to um, we're always going to have a, a Republican majority and and with our uh, congressional representatives and you can say what you want about gerrymandering um the race that uh, that uh, the third congressional district the McAdams Owens race we can expect just historically if you recall um i think it was Doug Owens ran against Mia Love and then Ben McAdams ran against Mia Love and i think Doug may have run against her twice but that particular race is just a knockdown drag out every two years and we spend a boatload on it but even even still most of the politicos that i talked to and most of the politicos that i know still felt that mcadams was going to prevail um look at some of the salt lake county uh council races where the the majority has historically been democrat or at least out of the nine members you can expect at least four or five or six members to be Democrat. This year, there are three. Uh, if if the election results that have been posted so far are going to stand, I I don't know if there's a reason for that, but certainly Trump b- 
brought a lot of Republicans out. Uh, Trump brought a lot of people out who may not normally vote, and they voted. And they and Utahns stood strong for Trump. I, I'd be interested in seeing what the final numbers are, but my guess is Trump did about as well in Utah as a percentage as he did in any state. So I, I think when the dust settles, it'll be fun, and, and I'd love to come back here in a month and talk to some of the people from the Hinckley Institute or just some of the pollsters and some of the people that were involved in the election process this year to to find out why we had such a strong uh, Republican landslide in Utah and even in Salt Lake County. Um, certainly outside of Salt Lake County, uh, a lot of times Democrats don't even run because that it's a, it's a lost cause. But um, I thought that the Democrats put forward a, a very strong uh, list of candidates this year. I mean, uh, this Chris Peterson that ran for governor and, and I'll, and I'll, be the first to say that Spencer Cox is going to be an incredible governor. I mean, I have no reason to doubt that he's not going to be one of the best governors we've had in the last 30 or 40 years. Um, but Chris Peterson, the Democrat that ran against him, uh, was a strong candidate. He was a a brilliant candidate, um, maybe seen as a little bit liberal, but, but a consumer activist, uh, a professor, um, a leader, and uh, never, ever got any traction. In fact, if you look at the statewide races, the attorney general race and the uh, gubernatorial race and even the congressional races uh, besides the, the McAdams-Owens race, those races were largely almost entirely decided in the uh, Republican primary. Uh, those were the those were where you saw your your close contests and where you saw more more of your your infighting uh, was right there in the Republican primary. And, and I just hope uh, and again, I'm biased a little bit that we do that, that people from other parties, not necessarily Democrat, but people will consider uh, keeping up the fight and consider running still. I think Salt Lake uh, County uh, state, the, the legislature uh, actually picked up a couple of Democratic seats, but statewide, it looks like everything kind of went went the, the opposite direction, um, which was a little bit unusual because we, it seemed to me, at least nationally, that there was a backlash against the president. There was a backlash against Trump. There was every reason to think that numbers were going to come out strong against him. And it just didn't. It didn't happen even even in some states that are uh, historically very, very blue, very Democratic states. Um, he kept it close. And, you know, depending on who you're listening to or who you're talking to right now, that particular race, the presidential race, may not even be done yet. Um, there have been a number of challenges, I think something like 19 legal challenges that the Trump uh, legal team has taken on. I think they've been shut down in 16, and they're probably about to get shut down on the other three. Uh, and, and I think any decent lawyer will tell you that these cases have no hope of prevailing. Um, but you never know when you t when you you know, throw the balloon up in the air, so to speak, and, and hope that something happens. Um, I, I just don't see that happening. And it, it would seem to me that at some point the Republicans have to prevail on the president and say, okay, you lost, it's over, uh, let's move on. Um, there's a critical date in that respect coming up on December 14th, which is when the when the Electoral College meets and votes. And I think that states, by law, are mandated to certify the results at least six days prior to that. So sometime in the, around the first week of December, 7th or 8th of December, we should know to, to a certainty 
um, who our next president's going to be, and, and we can we can move on, whoever it happens to be. If if some of these challenges in these states end up prevailing, we have recounts, or maybe maybe something's flipped over, uh, we'll at least know. But we're sure a tough year with the pandemic, the sort of the divided race that we had. Usually, we all just sit around the TV at night on election night, and we uh, look at how people we followed and people we saw how they ended up performing but boy not this year and hopefully um, that's not going to happen again when we come back we're going to talk about a lobbyist uh, and we're going to talk to a lobbyist and a former member of the utah state board of education spencer stokes talk about maybe just sort of a local political wrap-up and he may disagree with what i said but stay tuned we'll have spencer stokes here right after this break good afternoon you're listening to ksl news radio i am your guest host greg scordis along with my co-host todd weiler utah state senator and we're happy to be joined this afternoon by spencer stokes for those of you that don't know spencer stokes um i mean i don't think there's anybody that doesn't know spencer stokes i'm just reading something uh, that says Spencer Stokes is the brightest political mind in Utah politics. That's a quote by Senator Mike Lee. Um, pretty, pretty impressive. He served as a lobbyist. He served as a member of the Utah State Board of Education. Uh, currently, I think he directs uh, Stokes Strategies. Uh, Spencer, welcome, and thank you for taking some time out and being with us today. Join you, Greg. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> nice to talk to you too. I see you uh, people calling you for all kinds of things all the time, uh, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit here first. And and uh, we were talking during the last segment about what happened in Utah uh, three weeks ago, and my own maybe naivety about the strength of the Republican Party here. But were you surprised at? And, and I'm looking at even some of the local Salt Lake County races where. Republicans did, in my opinion, at least much better than we had expected. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's several things that play into it. I think that, uh, uh, you know, there was this whole national when it, whenever the national politics amp up that there's going to be a blue wave. I think some of that kind of comes to Utah and there's uh, Utahns that say, oh, yeah, we're not going to that's not going to happen. But, you know, there were there were there were propositions and referendums that were not on the ballot this year. Uh, that were uh, previously. And so you didn't see a lot of those last minute votes come in and break like they did two years ago where they broke more Democrat uh, than they did Republican. And I'm speaking of the fourth congressional district, uh, you know, how that that uh, how that took place. But um, it, it 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 always surprises me, Greg, the reach of the Republican Party or conservatism in the state. You know, there was only uh, the one seat that was lost in the House uh, was uh, Representative Hutchings, which it, he was a great representative and and he has a lot of expertise that will be will be lost. But, you know, he'd been there for a very long time. And so I think voters felt like there was uh, they wanted to change. And I think that that had less to do with, um, you know, the the turnout or the um, it was more there was, you know, long time serving uh, candidate. Yeah, and I agree, uh, Greg and Spencer, um, Eric Hutchins will be a loss. We're going to be actually talking to his um, replacement, uh, Ashley Matthews, in the next hour. But um 
uh, I think the the interesting thing to me, uh, Greg and Spencer, and I love your comments on this, is on election night, the Democrats looked like they had picked up three seats and they were in contention for five seats and that gain of five in the Utah House. But as the mail-in votes came in, they trended dramatically Republican. And this also had an impact in the Burgess Owens, Ben McAdams race. But nationally, we saw exactly the opposite in all of the swing states. As the mail-in votes came in, they tended to drift Democrat-leaning, whereas in Utah they tended to drift Republican-leaning, and I'm not sure why. Well, I I think that's true. I I think one of the issues was where the items that were on the ballot um, didn't bring out that more um, maybe a a person who hadn't voted before. You know, the the Biden-Harris – Coattails in Utah were not strong because people knew what was going to happen in Utah. So there's not this push that oh, I can make a real difference here. You know, we can have we can have uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win by a few thousand votes. That wasn't that wasn't the case. And I think between that, no coattails. Between the fact there wasn't any down ballot, and quite frankly. I will tell you that Democrats are better at ground operations, at getting ballots in and going out door to door. And that this year with COVID, it just made it nearly impossible to do. So in some of those close races, uh, they didn't have that luxury. Talking this afternoon with Spencer Stokes, um, who is a great political guru here in Utah. We appreciate you joining us, Spencer. Um, I, I was sitting down getting my car fixed one day and so i was watching the sort of the late morning news and i must have seen 30 commercials on owens mcadams that race seems to be just just a dogfight every two years is that something that that we can expect in utah uh, just the way that that district's been gerrymandered um it, it just seems like that that particular race particular race is a million multi maybe tens of million dollar race well, every two years Greg, if it had been gerrymandered, it wouldn't be a dogfight. <laughs> so, <laughs> gerrymandered um, correctly, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, maybe you could say it was gerrymandered incorrectly. Uh, I would imagine that through redistricting, uh, those all those boundaries will shift. It'll be an interesting year. They're, they're, the legislature allowed the redistricting commission, the independent redistricting commission, to go forward. I think that's actually a positive thing for everyone involved because uh, it gives a little more, I I think it opens the daylight to the science behind what has to happen. You know, uh, the legislature, you know, 10 years ago had those districts down to almost within one voter um, in each district. It was that close. And that's a difficult thing to do. And so we'll see how that plays out if it becomes a little more, broad and and uh of a margin or if if three of the other seats become closer as well but i was a little stunned by the wide margin with which burgess won that seat and i i've had several people tell me their theories on it one of them was hey there were some probably moderate utah county um you know voters that just said hey I could, i'm going to vote for biden harris but i'm going to swing back over and vote for um burgess you know this was the first year we saw an election without a straight party vote on the ballot and so 
it'll be fascinating when all the results are in and and uh, the data is compiled, the canvases are all done now, and you know we'll be able to go back and look at what was the bleed off down ballot. Did people just vote for the president? Did they also stick around and vote for the congressional seats, or um, did they vote the whole ballot? So that we, you know, we a lot of us thought, well, that's going to be hurtful to Republicans. It clearly was not the case. Salt Lake County Republicans picked up seats on the county council. Um, so it was just really a fascinating year to be a political hack in the state of Utah. There'll be lots of things to look at. Well, and I think it wasn't a fun um, year to you, be a politician in Utah, by the way. <laughs> yeah. The, the elimination hey, of the straight ticket. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, hey, Greg, there is no question yeah. in my mind that you would make a fantastic attorney general. Um, <laughs> there's no question in my mind. You just need a different initial after your <laughs> after okay. your name. And, you know, we're yeah. we're taking we're taking converts. I mean, if you, you really want to. We got the great, and, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sorry, hey, Todd. I Spencer, I. Oh, this is fine. This is the first year that we didn't have a uh, straight ticket voting, a uh, straight party ticket voting as an option. I, I'm wondering if you think that had an effect. And I'll tell you why I asked that. So Jenny Wilson in Salt Lake County, she slightly outperformed Joe Biden. Shereen Gorbani underperformed Gorbani, uh, Biden. We know, of course, Jenny Wilson's been involved in politics for years. and Her father was mayor of Salt Lake, and she ran against Mitt Romney. So she certainly had better name ID, but what, what impact do you think that no straight party ticket option had in the voting this year? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that, that what happened is that people had to go down and make informed decisions on every single candidate. And I think name ID, I, if you were to ask me, what's one development you believe COVID had with this election cycle, I would say 100% that name ID was king. Um, if you, you saw it in the Republican primary, you saw it in the Republican convention, you saw it on the on the voting um, because people just went down and had to make that decision independent on every single race. And I think there's some people that voted this year that didn't know there, there were that many races down ballot that they had to stick around for. Um, but I believe it was a lot of name ID. This was a year where that, that took effect. Um, I don't know how. I, I thought Ben McAdams had a lot of name ID. Um, but I think that the that ben, that, that ben McAdams, Congressman McAdams, really had developed a brand in the state of Utah. And I don't think the national ads helped him with his brand, the you know when the when the when the DNC comes in and the uh, DCCC comes in and they decide they're going to do negative in Utah, that didn't line up with Congressman McAdams' brand, and I think that hurt him some. Um, did it hurt the full amount that he lost by? No, but I think it I think it hurt him. 
Spencer Stokes, thank you so much for joining us today. I would actually like to do a show with you on for the entire three hours. You're fascinating. Thanks for what you do (laughs) for our electorate and what you do for our our people and keeping us informed. Uh, We're going to take a short break. We'll come back with Steve Eliason from the Utah House of Representatives. Welcome back. You're listening to KSL News Radio. I'm Greg Scordis, along with my co-host, Utah State Senator Todd Weiler, and you're listening to Live Mike. We're filling in today for Lee Lonsbury, as you may have guessed by now. Uh, our next guest, I'm kind of excited to have uh, this guest with us today, is uh, Utah legislator from Sandy, Republican legislator, Steve Eliason. Steve, I need to ask you a dumb question at the first, because I'm looking at the latest results. You're to be congratulated for being reelected, correct? Uh, yes, that is that is correct. Thank you. It's 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 uh it's confirmed. I mean, I wasn't sure whether they because it says some some things are still waiting to be completed, but you're ahead. It looks like by enough that you should be in good shape. So I wanted to congratulate I, I, you. I that think was what you're yeah, it says that one precinct hasn't reported, and that right. was because there was one precinct where nobody actually voted on election day. It was all by mail, and so the, the board of canvassers has met for Salt Lake County and. The results are official now. So thank Good you. For you. Well, congratulations. And and I think that the, what we've learned from today's program is that the vote by mail largely went in favor of the Republicans. So it should actually maybe help your numbers when it's when it's all said and done. Uh, tell me about your race. Um, was it? It looks like it was fairly closely contested. And I did have the pleasure to meet your opponent, Wendy, just through some of the some of the um, Democratic. Uh, con- conventions and even though they were online uh, but it seemed like you had a pretty close race but it, but it was a fairly cordial race uh yes um so i the district i live in district 45 uh sandy conwood heights midville uh white city uh it, it's it's considered a, a swing district it's gone back and forth uh several times and uh, the, the Democrat held the, the seat, uh, you know, prior to uh, my election uh, a number of years ago. And you know, this election we had unprecedented turnout. You know, I ninety plus percent, I believe, for Salt Lake County, which was either the highest turnout ever or maybe the second highest after nineteen sixty four. I'm not sure. And so that it brought a lot of people out and, you know, general elections um, can, can be interesting from the, if you're down ballot a ways, you know, like my race, um, because people, as much as we'd like to think people are showing up to vote just because of, you know, the race that, uh, that I was in, uh, that's not necessarily the case. We had a, you know, a very hotly contested presidential race and, um, some other, you know, uh, close county races. And so it uh, was a much greater turnout than what I think either me or my opponent expected. And um, ironically, I ran the bill a number of years ago, 2012, to allow us to go entirely by mail. And that's what, you know, I think helped, uh, especially during the pandemic, drive such uh, high turnout numbers, which, you know, we're actually very happy with. We're we're happy to have you join us this afternoon. We're joined this afternoon by Sandy Republican legislator Steve Eliason. But actually, Steve, I brought you here for another reason, and maybe you've already guessed this. You were, pardon the 
my French, a, a guinea pig, so to speak, on a coronavirus <laughs> vaccine. And first of all, you're a very brave man, and uh, that should earn you some votes in, in the future. But tell me how you even got signed up in such a project. Yeah, thank you. It had nothing to do, uh, you know, officially with my duties as a, as a legislator. However, in part, uh, I would say it would, that helped motivate it because I, I, I know that from a public policy perspective and societal perspective in terms of returning, you know, more to uh, life as we, we knew it before the pandemic, getting a vaccine in place is absolutely critical. Um, I work for the University of Utah Hospital and Clinics by day. It's my day job. And I had heard one of our uh, physicians and epidemiologists give a lecture about the status of vaccine developments. He mentioned that there was a, a trial going on in the Salt Lake area. This was last summer. And that they were accepting uh, participants in that trial. Ne- had never done anything like that before, but I just found out which clinic it was, called them up, got on the waiting list, and uh, called them periodically to see if my name was getting close to the top of the list. And one day they said, you're in luck. Uh, let's sign you up. And the the trial consisted of two different injections, uh, 28 days apart. It's actually a two-year study. You have to continue to go in and give blood so they can kind of look at how effective it is over time. Uh, the trial is only only 50% of the people got the vaccine, though, and they don't. It's double-blinded, so nobody really knows, uh, you know, if you got the real vaccine or not or the placebo. Uh, however, after the, the first injection, particularly after the second injection, I had enough, uh, a strong enough uh, kind of immune response to the, the vaccine that I had a pretty high confidence level that I had received the, the, the vaccine. And then I confirmed that by having an antibody test uh, done uh, through ARUP laboratories, and that confirmed that I had a, a very high level of uh, COVID antibodies. So I, I, I made the assumption that I'd gotten the real vaccine and it, that it worked. So I'm just asking what kind of vetting they, they did to, for the volunteers here. Just looking at your website, I assume that young, good-looking, and strong were at least three of the three of the uh, <laughs> prerequisites to signing up for this. I, 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 I qualified under a different uh, criteria. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they wanted a diverse section of the population. They did want people who worked in health care. Um, while I do work in health care, I don't work on the front lines with patients. Um, but they, they wanted people who were going to be maybe more than likely to be exposed to the virus just so they could determine how you know, effective the, the vaccine was. But there really wasn't, you know, a whole lot of uh, uh, vetting. They do um, uh, had, they had to make sure you hadn't had COVID previously or that you didn't have a current, you know, infection. And they ask you a ton of questions and you have to sign a whole bunch of paperwork. Um, but it, it, was, it was a pretty straightforward process. Steve, let me ask you one last question, if you can. The 30-second question. We we talked earlier on this show about a study that some BYU uh, professors and scientists had done, uh, just talking about the the sort of the hesitation that a lot of people have about the virus. What, if any, side effects can you tell us from your experience having uh, having had this? 
did you suffer? Uh, if any? Yeah, the, the the side effects were similar to maybe uh, just a standard flu shot, you know, uh, uh, injection site pain, which, you know, was not that bad. Uh, I did on um, the second shot had a, a low grade fever uh, briefly, which was easily managed with, you know, Tylenol and just a little bit of malaise, but it was, it didn't last more really than, you know, the night that, of the day I'd gotten the, the, inje- the final vaccine compared to getting COVID. I'd say there's no comparison. I, I would do it again in a heartbeat and I, my experience has been very good. And I think this vaccine is going to be very safe and it's going to be the, the, the next thing that helps us get back to normalcy. Well, I, I think a lot of us really appreciate what you did, Representative Elias, and, and, and the people in Sandy should feel very fortunate they have somebody like you as their leader. Um, thank you for your time today, and thank you for your service to our state. Thank you very much. Have a good It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. When we're back, we'll be uh, talking to Representative-elect Blake Moore. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be back in about five minutes. Welcome back to KSL. I'm your guest host, Greg Scordis, along with my co-host, Todd Weiler. Uh, we're joined this afternoon by Utah's latest and newest uh, congressman, uh, Blake Moore. Uh, Blake, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Hey, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So I'm just reading about you, and um, I get to the question, which is, why did you jump into this? I mean, you've had an <laughs> incredible go. I mean, you've got this beautiful wife, these three very handsome boys. Uh, raised in Ogden, uh, played quarterback for Utah State, serve your church. Um, what what compels you in maybe January or December of last year to say, well, I think I'd like to take a run at Congress? It was definitely January, so it was all within a few. It all happened. It all happened pretty quickly, and I, you know, there, that that question gets asked so many times. Like, why would you choose to run? And I, I love most people are like, why in the world did you choose to run? That's usually the, the intonation that they give. But right. it it kind of comes down to there were so many things in my in my background and in my past that I almost felt like that this was uh, this was a really you know really great opportunity for a next step. I mean. It, it, little things, more nuanced things that I worked with Dan Jones for seven years. Right. And, and got to have several in, you know, com- conversations with him. And, and he's somebody that always expressed to me, like, Blake, you should, you should consider this at some point. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily in the cards, but, but, you know, a master's in public policy. And then, um, you know, I had a unique, unique thing happen in high school where it just hit me on like a ton of bricks that public service is, is so important. And, there had always been a service element to my job, whether it was directly as I was, you know, employed by the federal government and in, in working as a civilian in, in that role and getting to travel all over the world and all that. And that's that's the first half of my career. And then the second half was in what I believe is one of the most relevant careers to have to go into Congress. And that's only been solidified that even just this last week in management consulting for a company called Cicero Group, where you work with industries from all every walk of our economy. These industries you work in, oil and gas, to 
to transportation, to education, to healthcare, to social impact. And, you know, I'll never be an expert in all of them, but having exposure to all that was, a, was just a re- real nice entree into, into jumping in. And, and, you know, we kind of looked at it and thought, well, actually, we weren't expecting this for 2020. It's middle of January. Someone had suggested, Blake, you have a, a really unique background. You could, you, you, you could interact with Hill Air Force Base really well. You have a good sound for, for Utah's economy and things like that. And, and my wife and I looked at it and thought, you know, it's actually a relatively short campaign season then. I know I'm probably late to the game, but let's give it a whirl and see what, see what happens. And then we just hit the ground running, and the rest is history. <laughs> well, it was an interesting history for you. And you, you jumped into an open seat. Bob Bishop had had that for, I don't know, maybe 20 years. 18, 18, 18 years. 18 years. Yeah. Uh, you certainly uh, had uh, – challenges within your own party uh describe that early process the sort of getting your name out getting people to know you how do you even get through a primary and a party of an open seat where it's it's a kind of the republican primary is going to decide the race to be honest yeah it's a phased approach um it we announced that weber state on february 12th um and then you had like a month and a half to eat to to you know, there's there's the two the two paths to getting on the ballot, try for the signatures. And we had a really good stand up volunteer effort, but COVID ultimately you know, made that sort of impossible. Um, and so then you just buckle down and get and, and focus on those one thousand delegates in the convention. And that actually f- sort of so in that phased approach it sort of changed up, you know, okay, how do we communicate? And we have to do a lot of it virtually now. So let's get our message really tight. Let's communicate what it is that we want to um, share with, with the voters, create a good video, you know, because we were going to do the convention a little differently. And we just fully embraced that entire convention system. Um, volunteers, parents, I mean, my parents, my siblings, my um, my team, we were just constantly calling folks, trying to interact with them the best way we could. Uh, you know, other areas of the of the district, Bertle and, and Logan, were you know, more of the rural areas weren't as, at that time, weren't as, um, you know, I would say, um, hampered by by covid so you could go and and interact a little bit more and i still love that because i'm you know kind of a people person and i'm much of my much of an extrovert but it forced us to channel our message and get it out to people and then when we emerged out of the convention and out of 12 candidates top two it just gave us a ton of momentum then we put together a good advertisement then you have to go the airwaves right then you have to kind of change your strategy and and getting name id out there um, cause it was down to four people at that point. Um, yeah, so it's just a phased approach. You just, you know, just have to share who you are and, and get in and, and, and give it what you've got. Cause, um, I, don't know, I always felt too, I think the thing that I love the most about it is like every election night convention, I didn't necessarily think I was going to finish in the top two, to be honest. Right. I, I was unknown, you know, late to the game and I just went into it like, we left it all out there. Whatever happens, happens. And I have, I have had that attitude the whole time. Um, and we did that same as primary night. And we just remained positive, optimistic, and uh, excited to and just excited to serve. And we're in a unique spot now. So, um, did, did you participate in freshman orientation yet? Yeah. It was uh, what, what was your takeaway from that? Fire hose. Overwhelming. I've been through. I've been through federal orientations before. You know, you go get your TFT and your FERS and all of that type of uh, those, those briefings, which is which stuff that I've uh, I've done before. So it wasn't too different. But I mean, 
Greg, you're sitting there in the U.S. Capitol in a in a in a little you know auditorium. You get a badge to be able to walk anywhere you want in the Capitol building. And like before, you know, I would have never dreamed of that. It's just just really unique. So there's the surreal side of it. Then there's the okay, we've got to buckle down. We've got to make a whole bunch of decisions on staffing, and um, it's a it, it is it's a you know an overwhelming experience. Um, my wife was able to come out for a kind of a long weekend portion of it. Um, Robert O'Brien, Ambassador O'Brien, uh, just an incredible person, a really really strong servant, faith, you know, like strong, good public servant on on what he's trying to accomplish. They have really you know had so- ton of success. It took us through the West Wing, right? Just amazing experience. Um, are you going to sleep on a cot in your office like Chaffetz did, or are you going to move your family back, or what? What are your plans? I'm finding out that a lot more members of Congress actually do what Chaffetz made famous. Um, yeah. Many, many more do. To be honest with you, I, I, I hope not to. We're going to figure out a situation. I'm, I'm looking into getting a small place that I can have that it's big enough for the kids to come out and maybe throw on a sofa bed or something but um we'll keep them we'll i'll, I'll be the one all oh, the burden will be on me for the travel part right now we'll keep the kids um in a in a in a, in a known situation and I'll, I'll be bouncing back and forth so not moving but you know half of my freshman class i, I think some half of them i think are planning to move back there full time the other half are going to do a little bit of travel back and forth and um, it's just a mixed bag, and it's just where your family situation's at. And ours currently would be such that I would go back and forth a lot more. Uh, okay. Well, last. Qu- go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. No, you're going to say, Blake. Uh, last question. We have about thirty seconds. Um, what kind of support did you get with within your own family? I mean, that's always a tough thing, especially with a young family like yours. Um, uh, and just you probably got roots in the Weber County area and Ogden area. Uh, tell me how that. Tell me how that conversation went. You know, my dad was a banker on 25th in Washington. His, his, you know, the majority of his career. My mom would worked at Weber State in the development. Um, it was, you know, they were all volunteers ready to you know, make their calls. My dad was reluctant for me to run. My mom was very much in favor of it. That's usually what happens. My mom usually wins these arguments. <laughs> but they all just kind of gave it their all and communicated with their networks. And uh, I'll tell you what was really great was my coaches. Like I had a ton of old coaches. We, you know, one of them we, we just recently passed was one of the, the biggest supporters and post stuff about me is Phil Phil Russell and and uh, he he recently just passed from COVID and it was a really sad deal for Ogden and but I'll always remember him being so supportive as you know at, at this time a really unique part of my life. That's cool. Utah's newest congressman Blake Moore. Blake, we're going to be very happy to watch you over the next several years, maybe maybe several decades and congratulations on a, on a well run race. Congratulations on, on being our, our newest Congressman. And, and I have no doubt that you're going to serve the citizens very well. When we come back, we're going to have a call from uh, Ashley Matthews, but we're going to take a break here for just a few minutes. Uh, This is uh, KSL radio. You're joined this afternoon by with uh, Todd Weiler and Greg Scordis as your co-hosts. Welcome back. You're listening to KSL News Radio. I'm Todd Weiler along with Greg Scordis, and you're listening to Live Mike. And our next guest is Ashley Miller. And Ashley was a candidate, a Democratic candidate uh, for the Utah House of Representatives this year, representing District 38. And she is the sole 
um, candidate who knocked off a sitting incumbent in the legislature this November. She beat uh, Representative Eric Hutchings, who's held the position for 18 years. And, and Eric Hutchings himself actually entered the legislature as a Democrat and then uh, switched to the Republican Party. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Hi, thank you so much. It's um, nice to be here. I'm not very good at these things yet, so just uh, thanks for letting me practice. <laughs> Uh, well, well, thank you. And um, well, I, I'm curious, um, you know, how how did you beat an incumbent during a COVID pandemic? What what was your strategy, and 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 what kind of response did you get from from the voters? You know, I wish I could tell you which you know special ingredient gave us <laughs> gave us this recipe. Um, to be honest, we just kind of tried a little bit of everything. We did some, you know contact-free literature drops. We did some socially distanced uh, canvassing, you know, talking to voters one-on-one. We did text messaging. We did phone banking. We sent out mailers. And we just, I don't know, just a little bit of everything in hopes that something would stick. And (laughs) I think people people were really receptive. Um, As a general rule, you know, the people that didn't feel comfortable talking, talking to strangers at the door just didn't answer. But the people that did answer were... I think receptive and um, I don't know, like they kind of miss that, that contact and that social interaction since we've all kind of been isolated at home. So, so yeah, yeah, they, they liked having somebody come, come and talk to their door and, and uh, ask them, you know, what, what issues were important to them and, and what changes they'd like to make. And, and yeah, so it was, it was, it was nice to be <laughs> very well received because this was a pretty, was a pretty uh, passionate political year i guess for yeah now you won by just you won by just over or just under 300 votes i think but that sounds pretty close but uh representative hutchings was only reelected two years ago by 118 votes did you run against him two years ago or was that someone else i did not that that was my friend okay. edgar harwood and he okay i believe he was planning to run again this year but um unfortunately he moved out of state so ah. left to spot open and and I went for it and here we are so it's my understanding you work in the construction department at the Utah Department of Transportation and you won't be the first or the last state employee to be elected to the legislature in fact Norm Thurston from Utah County is a executive with the Utah Department of Health Um, are you planning on kind of uh, are you planning on trying to get on the transportation committee or would you rather avoid that as an employee of UDOT I, I'm going to be honest, I, because I have no idea how things work yet until I get up there, I'm, I'm just happy to be wherever, wherever they put me. If they put me okay. somewhere that I don't have kind of a background and experience, it would give me an opportunity to learn something new. So I'm, I'm just grateful to be there. So you were born in West Valley. I understand your husband's a union pipe fitter. Did his union ties uh, impact the way you ran your campaign? Did you... Did you, you know, go to the unions for help, or how? Uh, how does that play into everything? I did. I mean, most most candidates do. You know, they'll reach out to the labor unions for for an endorsement and and uh, monetary support and volunteers and things like that. Um, because of COVID, you know, there there weren't a lot of groups, unions, and and uh, other groups that were sending out their volunteers to knock on doors and things like that. So. Um, 
we we did get support from from unions and and from other PACs and groups and so yeah. It looks like your platform was to support working families, which includes affordable daycare and better transportation and living livable wages, and that you're a supporter of at least congressional term limits. Um, do you have any bills in the works yet for, for this coming session? We just have a minute. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple that, that we are working on. Some of them we, we hope to have ready in time for this session, and some of them, you know, that will require a little bit more legwork, and those will have to wait for 2021. But we're just excited to get in and, and get to work, and I'm so excited. All right. Well, Actually, thank Matthews. you so much. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. When we're back, a Salt Lake, new Salt Lake County Councilwoman, Laurie Stringham, will be joining us. Stay tuned. Good afternoon. Welcome back. This is Live Mike. I'm your co-host, Greg Scordis, joined by Todd Weiler from the Utah State Senate. Todd, tell us who our next guest is. Yes, we've got... Lori Stringham coming on, and she just won a seat in the uh, in the Salt Lake County Council. And Lori, are you with us? Yep, I'm here. Uh, Lori, you your your election was probably my biggest surprise, even more so than Burgess Owens. Not not to take any way, anything away from you, but I just wasn't expecting um, Shireen Gorbani to to lose after, especially after election night. Can you tell us how you did it? Believe me, I've, I've actually heard that a lot in the last uh, week. <laughs> so, um, actually, yes, we actually had an amazing group of people that came together. Um, you know, election night, we were um, there was some media there, and I remember um, I think it was Brian Malahi that came up and said, "Hey, sorry about your loss." And I and I just looked at him and I said, "Hey, they're not done counting. I could still win this." And he he smiled at me like I I, I didn't know what I was talking about. So it was kind of funny now. Um, we, uh, we had a kind of a kitchen table campaign, so to speak. We, I, I come from Kearns and in Kearns, we don't have money. So we are really good at doing very little with limited resources and making it stretch as far as we possibly can. And we knew we had to do that with this campaign. Um, so we, everything we did was very targeted. Um, everything was done in house and we were extremely efficient with what we got. Um, um, we had 14,000 bucks and actually we're, we're kind of up to once I've calculate all the in-kind almost 20 so that we were able to raise for this campaign which um is not a lot but we we made it go a long way um we worked on uh we had so many volunteers i think that was our secret sauce in this is the number of volunteers that we had in this uh campaign um i've been working on my thank you list right now and i'm already up to 200 people on that list for my thank you list i'm not even close to being done so it was pretty impressive that's great. We have a volunteer. Your... We had volunteers in every city and and several, quite a number even outside the county. So it was just pretty fun. What are your top priorities for twenty twenty one on the Salt Lake County Council? Um, top priorities right now. Um, well, COVID of course is number one. I mean, it's on everybody's minds. We all need to um, come together and make sure that we are addressing uh, some of the major issues. And I feel like the county is missing one of the major issues they need to be addressing right now, because when Which, when COVID finally gets when it finally happens, it's not going to be the economic hardships that come out of COVID, and it's not going to be COVID itself. It's going to be the long-term mental health issues that are coming out of COVID that we're not addressing and we're not dealing with right now. I'm a teacher right now. I see it in the schools every day, the, the amount of stress and um, 
that our youth are under right now and, and not being able to handle or deal with. And the families don't know how to help them. Plus, they're under the same amount of stress. We're going to see some serious mental illness issues coming out of this um, on top of any number of other things that come out from this. So that's that's number one. We really need to be addressing the mental health issue and how to help our families, help our youth, help our neighbors, help our community so that we can come out of this mentally strong. Yeah, that's such an important issue. So, um, Lori, you um, with your election, a lot has been said that now the Republicans will have a veto proof majority on the Salt Lake County Council. And I don't know that that has ever happened since we adopted that form of government. Do, do you see the Republicans working with Jenny Wilson, or do you think there's going to be a lot of vetoes? You know, I think we have the ability to work with anybody. Um, the Republicans that, as we have spoken and, and, and talked, even during the campaign, were more than happy to work with Jenny, but there are some things that we know need to change. Um, county government has grown hugely, and we need to rein that in. Um, and so we'll be looking closely at budgets and things like that. They had to rein a lot of that in just because of COVID. And so we saw some cuts afterwards, which is going in the right direction. Um, but we really need to look at efficiencies in government. Oftentimes when you get involved in any governmental entity, if you've had a time of plenty and, and Salt Lake County has, um, oftentimes you're not looking for efficiencies. And I think that's some place where we can look and find some really good places that we can make the county a little bit better at what they do and more efficient at doing it. And so, and we need to limit the, any future tax increases. We need to limit some growth and we need to be aware of um, where our services are needed and where there's redundancies. We're joined this afternoon by Salt Lake County Council's newest member, Laurie Stringham. Laurie, congratulations. I've been reading some stuff about you. And uh, we talked, we sort of started the show tonight or today, this afternoon, with talk about the coronavirus, with masks, with where we're going in this state. It seems like you have a, a plan, at least with respect to some of the some of your constituents, about opening things like theaters, uh, places for the public to go, uh, ways to do that in a safe manner uh, that still allows for public safety, but keeps our businesses going is that something that you've campaigned on or something you've just picked up on or where are you on that uh both actually uh when uh one of the things that most people probably don't know about me is i served 22 years on a parks and well it'll be 22 years in two weeks on a parks and recreation board in which we really focused on a lot of public health and public health initiatives over the years um it's an elected position and i've served on the utah um uh, Parks and Recreation Association and the National Parks and Recreation Association and public health is one of my number one concerns. We have talked about this scenario several times over the years and, and what would happen and, and how we could do things to keep people safe and keep them safe in the long term. Um, one of the things that uh, we know from science right now is that um, we we learn and things change as we go. So what we know today might change next week, but the best thing we can do is take what we know today and put it into good use and use that to help keep us safe. And then as we learn new things, we can adjust. And that's what we've been doing all the way along with COVID. Um, we know that we can actually safely go to school right now. There aren't kids who are co contracting it through schools. It's mostly social settings outside of schools. And so they've agreed that going to school is an okay thing to do. 
they've given us lots of tools, lots of cleaning supplies, and lots of new ways of doing things so that we can continue being safe. Plus, we've also allowed those who aren't comfortable with that to be able to learn at home. And so I will tell you, I teach technical theater at Skyline High School, and one of the unique things about that is trying to figure out how to put that online. And uh, we've become very creative in how we do that. Um, Likewise, other businesses are finding out there is a new paradigm shift in how to do business. And there are ways to do it safely. Um, I'll give you a really good example. Um, uh, Hill Center Theater, uh, I've been speaking with them recently because they're kind of in a bind right now. But Hill Center Theater, when uh, we were... When we were looking at opening all of these facilities, um, came up with a plan of what they would do. The health department approved it in June, and so they have been operating since June at full capacity, 100% capacity. And people are like, well, how is that possible? Everybody else is shut down. What people don't understand is everybody else is shut down because the unions took a stance and said, we're going to just shut them down. They didn't allow them to even look at the possibility of opening up or say that they wanted to open up unless they were private um, entity, they're shut down. Um, Hell is not uh, a union. And so they had the option of being able to open up and actually do business. And because of that, they came up with a plan. Well, one of the things that most people don't know about Health Center Theater is that they have an air circulation system that's better than most hospitals. Um, they, uh, an airplane has to have a 14 rating and how their airflow turns over and their filters and everything work. Health Center Theater most hospitals are 16 and 17, and they are a 17 because one of their biggest concerns was to protect actors and actresses coming into Utah from those really high um, days of uh, air quality being poor here. And so one of the, the biggest concerns is when somebody's singing and you're singing in pollution and, and poor air, it damages voices. And so they didn't want that to be a problem for Health Center Theater. So they have a state-of-the-art air return system that is next to nothing. Because of that, they were allowed to open at full capacity, 100%. In the time that they've been open, they have had zero contact tracing come back and say, somebody got it from your facility, um, which is huge. But just right after the election was over, over and the governor uh, was looking at changing some mandates, they got notification that they had to shut down to 25%. And now they're concerned about being able to make their bond payment because of that. And I, I can understand wow. their stress and their frustration. And I will tell you that there are a lot of other entities that are owned by cities, they're owned by um, in the arts, that um, they'll get made whole because the cities will find a way to do that or the county will find a way to do that. Hell is a business. They're one of the few models yeah. that they get 80% of their stuff from ticket sales okay. and only 20% from donors Laura. where almost every other facility, it's the opposite. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us, Lori Stringham. Don't go away. Uh, coming up next, we have Jim Dunnigan, a representative in the Utah House who barely held on to reelection. The time is 2.30. We'll be right back. Welcome back to KSL. As you may have noticed, Lee Lonsberry's off today. And so you're stuck with guest hosts. I'm Todd Weiler, and I have with me Greg Scordis. And uh, we're going to talk next to Representative Jim Dunnigan. He is a, a, one of the more senior members in terms of seniority of the Utah House of Representatives here on Capitol Hill. And on election night, it looked like that uh, we might be losing Representative Dunnigan. But as all of those mail-in ballots came through, Representative Dunnigan eked out a very narrow uh, uh, win. So congratulations, Jim. Are, are you with us? 
Jim Dunnigan, are you there? Oh, shoot. Well, while, while we're waiting for that, um, Greg, I don't know if you were following this as closely as I was, but on election night, Robert Spenlove was losing, uh, but then came back. Uh, Steve Ellison, who we talked to earlier, was losing. Jim Dunnigan was losing. And uh, Eric Hutchings was losing. And then Representative Craig Hall was in a very close race. And Mike Winder looked like it could be close, but he ended up winning by uh, 60 40. Welcome to the show, Representative Dunnigan. Todd, how are you doing? Good. So uh, you've got me and Greg Scordis. Tell us what the last two weeks was like for you and your family as as these votes trickled in. You were way down on election night. It looked like maybe an th- you know, insurmountable lead for your opponent. But when all the votes came in, you, uh, you, you were on top. So what was that like emotionally for you and your wife and your kids? It was a real roller coaster. Uh, I've never been. I've been down early on the election night, but I was by midnight or one a.m. back on top. This was different. It was almost a week before I got back on top. So for us, the, the campaign actually did not end on election night. We got because of so many. Ninety percent of the people in my district voted by mail, and so there were a number of uncured ballots, which are ballots that are not counted because of signature issues. So each day after election night, after election day, we would get a list from the county clerk of whose signatures were not being counted. And then we'd go around and talk to people and let them know that their ballot was not being counted and see if they wanted to have it counted. So for us, the election really didn't end until, I mean, the campaigning until a week ago today, because we've been contacting people for two weeks uh, after election night ended, trying to get every vote that we could. And those are called cure ballots, as, as I understand it. So, um, Jim, I mean, how, how did uh, COVID change your campaign? And, and let me ask you also, how, what are you hoping to accomplish in the next two years now that you, you hung on? Well, COVID uh, directed us a lot more towards social media. We've done social media in the past much heavier this year. Uh, you know, we did uh, some door-to-door, but many people were not comfortable with that. So we we relied on some uh, larger community events that could be outdoors, socially distanced, and we had a couple of really fun ones of those to get to, to know people. And then a big emphasis on social media, including ads, you know, Facebook and Google. And, and so that was a, a big driver for us this year we've never paid so much attention and put so much effort into the digital realm but uh it's a good thing that we did and for the next couple of years i i plan to keep on working on making health care more accessible to those who really need it in utah i've done some work on this in the in the past and where we submitted recently a waiver to the federal government to make mental health more accessible but there's more to do, so I'm, I'm still going to continue to uh, work to make healthcare more accessible. I'm working with the nurse practitioners uh, to make uh, them more available and to lower some of the barriers to entry for them. That'll be coming up in this coming session. But some of my main emphasis is to keep our economy going, help people get employment and get retrained as needed and hopefully uh, overcome this horrible virus. Representative Dunnigan, Greg Scordis here. Uh, congratulations. I, I wanted to- Thanks, Greg. 
go back to you on something you mentioned because it was something that came up quite a bit during the election, and uh, I appreciate that you that you brought this up. Two years ago, voters passed, uh, I think it was Proposition 3, to expand Medicaid. That seems to be something that is near and dear to you. Is Is that proposition or that idea, I guess, still still something that we're working on in the legislature? Is it something that's, that we have some places to go? Is it something that our state can still do to sort of accommodate what seems to be the will of the voters? So I, I think we have accomplished. So in April a year ago, we expanded Medicaid up to 100% of poverty. That provided full Medicaid coverage for everybody in the coverage gap. And then in January of this year, we went all the way up to 138% of poverty. So that is the Obamacare type full Medicaid expansion. So we're there. We've done that. That's what the voters uh, passed in the initiative. We have we've made some adjustments to it to make it more uh, sustainable financially. But so we we have that. I, I do think there are some updates or modifications that can be made to Medicaid expansion to make it more user friendly. But as far as the population that is eligible. As of January this year, everybody that would have been eligible under the proposition is is eligible for Medicaid. That's huge, I think, Representative Dunnigan, and and something that I that the voters really wanted. They also passed a couple of other propositional uh, amendments or propositional or voter propositions, rather, uh, with respect to expanded. Um, um, cannabis use and redistricting. Tell me where the legislature is on those issues now, or are they something that we've already dealt with and we're, we're moving on? So on, on the medical cannabis, uh, the legislature worked with the sponsors of the cannabis initiative, made some modifications that were agreed upon. And um, I was talking to our Senate Majority Leader, Evan Vickers, who's a pharmacist, and his take on it is, if we had not done anything to the initiative, medical cannabis would have come online in 2021. It came online uh, March or April of this year, so we moved it up several months. We've learned a lot, and it's actually starting to function. And I was talking to somebody recently that's using it, and apparently it's helping them. So that's actually good news. So I, I, I think that intent of the, of the voter was there. It's actually probably earlier than it would have been absent if we had not gotten together with the proposition authors and made some changes. As far as the boundaries, um, there was legislation, I believe it was this session, that the uh, authors of the boundary initiative uh, agreed to that gave them a million dollars and some other tools to be able to put together their own redistricting. So that, that's not been significantly modified, uh, and uh, you know that will come into play next year, I believe. But they, they were giving, given some money and some resources to make them more independent. So I think the, you know, anytime you make any changes to initiative, people get concerned. <laughs> but I think they, they were good adjustments and improvements. And I appreciate that. I really, I do. As the work that you've done up on the hill has been really spectacular, Representative Dunnigan. Keep it up, and congratulations on your victory. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up the show today. Uh, stay tuned. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was 
senseless, and I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.